How y'all doing? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast here today. Episode 16 on the table, and we are excited to get this going. Um, pretty loaded episode today, talking about a few things we haven't talked about before. Um, but basically, a rundown. We got some soccer news today. Belmont Stakes recap the NHL. Uh, playoffs are continuing. The, seri- the finals started. PGA, a lot of news there. MLB, we have a standings update this week. NCAA Baseball, College World Series is about to start. Uh, NBA, we got the finals going on. And NFL, we have some big news this week. So pretty fun episode, and we'll get it kicked off right away. Um, But soccer, uh, the FIFA World Cup, the 2026 host cities were announced today. 16 cities made the cut. Uh, They are in alphabetical order. Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Guadalajara, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Mexico City, Miami, Monterey, and then New York and New Jersey are kind of paired together. Then we have Philadelphia, San Fran, Seattle, Toronto, and Vancouver. So overall, we have 11 U.S. cities, uh, three from Mexico, and two from Canada. Yeah, good to see, uh, you know, the U.S. getting a couple hosts, uh, quite a few host cities there, actually. I mean, not super surprising. Um, they usually get a bunch. Uh, considering it's in North America this year, uh, in the past when we've had events in uh, North America as a whole, U.S. usually gets the most host cities, just kind of, it's going to kind of be expected. Um, nothing real close to us. Uh, I guess Houston is, is the closest to us, I guess, if we're home in Austin for it. Uh, maybe maybe go see it if uh, if the U.S. qualifies. Maybe I'll go see a soccer game. It'd be pretty cool to see a U.S. soccer game, um, especially if they make the World Cup. They don't always qualify every year, so it'd be pretty cool to go see them play uh, in Houston. But, um, yeah, no, pretty cool. Uh, glad it's in North America. Should bring some good uh, kind of stimulating uh, activity to the economy, which who knows if we'll need it in 2026 or not. We can always use it, though. So that'll be really cool. Um, but, yeah, kind of shifting over to the Belmont Stakes here. Uh, took place last Saturday, which is the third and final Triple Crown race. Uh, Mo Donegal, the favorite at 5-2, to two, won the eight-horse race. One of the Kentucky Derby Rich Strike came in sixth. Uh, three different horses run one each race of the Triple Crown this year, which is pretty cool. Um, I know people love to see a Triple Crown winner, but kind of cool to see uh, three different horses win. Um, kind of unique. Not always do you see that kind of thing. Uh, usually one horse will win two or sometimes they'll win three. So um, pretty cool to see three different horses win each three races this year. Yeah, I mean, neither of us really that into horse racing, but yeah, I mean, it's – it's nice to see different horses, you know, achieving such huge feats in the horse racing world. Um, that means three different trainers, three different jockeys. Um, it's really, really impressive and cool for them. And, you know, those horses won't be able to do triple crown again because next year they'll be a year older and won't be eligible. Um, that's cool. That'll pretty much wrap up the news that we talk about um, horse racing probably until Kentucky Derby next year. So about 11 months until we touch on it again. Um, but yeah, I just gave you all a few updates after each race, before each race, just times and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, normally the favorite wins, which is why Rich Strike, when Rich Strike won, uh, it was really shocking because it was the longest odds to win. Um I mean, that's part of sports as a whole, um, betting as a whole, and it's pretty cool to see that happen. Um, we're going to shift here to the NHL. 
busy week continues there in hockey. Uh, this past week, had two more games at the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, after being down 2-0 in the series to the Rangers, they won four straight games to take the series in six games. Uh, they outscored the Rangers 16-14 to in the series. And what was a very low-scoring series outside of game one, um, I picked the Avalanche in six games in the finals versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll see if that holds, but it should be exciting. I mean, these are two really, really good teams that are been hot and are really hot right now, obviously, to be able to make it to the fourth round of the bas- or hockey playoffs. But, you know, the Lightning have the experience and the Avalanche have, you know, the speed and all the young, like, ammo, so to speak. Um, to make the run and they had the best odds to win it going into the playoffs. So it's about pretty much expected matchup here. Yeah, no, like you said, it should be a great series. We had game one last night, which did not disappoint at all. Um, it seemed like every time Colorado scored, uh, you know, they scored a quick two goals to go up two nothing. And then Tampa Bay answered pretty quick. And then Colorado scored a third goal and Tampa answered within a couple minutes. So uh, they were, they were kind of tip for tat last night. It was a great game. Um, just what you'd want to see it up game one. It's in the cup finals. Actually went to overtime and OT. The Avalanche scored first goal in OT, sudden death, like it always is in OT. Um, a really exciting game, though. Uh, Avalanche take game one to keep home court advantage or home ice advantage for now, rather, um, which is huge in hockey. Um, game two will be played on Saturday, 8 Eastern on ABC slash ESPN, ESPN Plus. Uh, rest of the series will take place every other day until winter is decided. Uh, kind of unique. They don't take travel days off, which is kind of cool. Um, I kind of I've hated this travel game schedule that we've had for the NBA finals. It's like, you know, three games, three days off in between games, which kind of sucks. But um, if this series does go seven, it'll conclude on the 28th. I happen to think it's going to go seven. Um, my Rangers pick in the Eastern Hammers finals looked really good until the first over the first two games. Uh, but alas, the two time champs, the reigning champs uh, go on to win four straight. Go to the finals. I'm upset about it. I didn't have a horse in the race. Um, I'm Paul's just pulling for a good series, and it was, ended up being a great series. Every game was really close. I just felt like the Lightning's playoff experience really shined through, especially in games five and six of that series. Um, kind of commanded those games pretty pretty strongly. Um, I'm gonna take the Lightning to win in seven. They almost stole they almost stole a game in Colorado last night. I think they'll steal game seven in Colorado. Um, as they almost said last night, I think the playoff experience on this big stage in a big game like a game seven is gonna lean in. Tampa Bay's favor, so I think that's what's going to get him over the hill here and get, get him to a third straight Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised um, to really see either team win here. But I picked the Avalanche over the Lightning in six games, like I said, before the conference finals began. So I'm going to stick with the pick. Uh, I'm not going to switch up. I say the Lightning win game two, so that would be the game on Saturday and then game four, the second game in Tampa Bay. And then I think the Avalanche will win the rest. Yeah, no, it should be like you said, it should be a series. Wouldn't wouldn't shock me if either one of these two, two teams won. Um, like you said, Avalanche are the betting favorite going into the Stanley Cup playoffs. So um, not a shock to see them here. And then the, the Lightning, listen, they're two-time running chance for a reason. Um, just maybe they didn't have the best odds going in at the Eastern Conference. Doesn't mean they weren't going to be – you know, a top contender. So again, no surprises here. Should be a really good series, especially after game one. If game one's indicative of how the series is going to go, we're in for a seven game, six game great series here. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. Hopefully, every chance I get, I can watch a game, tune into at least parts of it. I mean, we'll have an update next week. Um, 
probably be game five or so when we're releasing the episode next week. So who knows? The series could be decided. Likely won't be, but we're going to shift to golf here. Uh, PGA and Live Golf Tour, kind of two different kinds of tours headlining the golf world right now. This past weekend, we had the inaugural Live Golf Tour event. Charles Schwartzel won the event by shooting eight under. Um, so the way to live is, like we uh, looked it up last week, 54 in Roman numerals, 54 holes are three rounds of golf. So that means the tourney is three rounds uh, in, compar- in comparison to the four rounds of golf that you play in a PGA tournament. So he shot 65, 66, and 71. Uh, so five, four under, and then one over on the final day. Along with an insane amount, $4.75 million um, by taking on the crown at eight under. And by doing some simple math, it factored out to $1,583,333 per round, $87,963 a hole, and $23,515 per shot. So that, that would be pretty nice that, you know, and like a not bad yearly salary of 88 K you're getting every 15 minutes playing golf. Like, and then you win that event and you're pretty much set for life. I mean, 4.75 mil. I mean, obviously you can blow it, but I mean, for most people that's plenty to live. Oh yeah. No question. Not do anything. So. Yeah, no, pretty, pretty crazy. Um, the, the winnings there, not even like it's, I mean, PJ majors make that kind of much, that, that, that kind of money, but I guess it's the inaugural event. So they've got a huge, a huge purse, but man, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, a lot of controversies around the live golf tour. Um, I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the kind of the golf section, but man, it's been uh, controversial. I don't know if I disagree with all the takes that have been had. Um, I don't know if a guy like Phil Mickelson, is he dying for the money that bad? I don't know. So, um, but it's interesting, it, you know, it's, it's a different game. It's, it's three rounds, not four. So uh, we'll kind of see how this goes and see if it lasts. Yeah. I mean, Phil is, I mean, really most of these guys don't need the money. Um, no. Phil is a guy that after joining the live golf tour, he's probably up near 800 mil in terms of net worth. Um, maybe a little bit less, but I mean, it's just crazy the amount of money that they're shelling out and stuff like that. As we shift to the PGA Tour, um, last week we had the RBC Canadian Open, and the event is played at St. George's Golf and Country Club in Toronto, Ontario. Roy McIlroy won the event last year, and he won it this year um, at 19 under, behind four strong rounds of golf, uh, 66, 68, 65, and 62. Um, And while it wasn't 4.75 mil, uh, he had himself a nice payday as he still took home 1,566,000. And Tony Finau came in second at 17 under and Justin Thomas came in third at 15 under. So a couple of Americans in there to round out the top three. Um, but I mean, that was a fun, fun round to follow. Um, you know, a low, a pretty low finishing score for the winner at 19 under, um, We'll see how it goes this week. I know it will not be 19 under this week. Uh, But today, the third major of the year, the U.S. Open, teed off up at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. 
a loaded field this week as a bunch of members that recently joined the live golf tour are eligible to play in the majors. Um, 15 players on the live golf tour that joined a few weeks ago are playing in the U S open this week. And they are combined 54 over par after the first day of the tournament. So that's, that's pretty ironic there. Um, just thought that was really funny. I saw that earlier once the first round concluded. That is funny. But I mean, <laughs> I love it. It's it's an insane course. I think the final stats today, uh, the leader is the Canadian Adam Hadwin. He's at four under, so he shot a 66. It's a par 70 course. And I believe Phil Mickelson was seven over on the round, eight over. Excuse me. He shot 78 in the opening day. So. Tough scenes there for the people that left the PGA Tour. Uh, 15 of them combining for 54 over par is on average about four over par. Not great. That's not going to win you a lot of money. Um, Well, maybe if you're playing for the Live Tour, it will. But in these majors, it won't win you much. It's not going to get you to make the cut, most likely. So, I mean, still a round of golf to be played before the cut. And if you make the cut, there's so much that can happen on those final two days. Um, But... And as in terms of the U.S. Open, uh, John Rahm won the event last year, and like any event, it concludes on Sunday. And the winner of the event will take home 2.25 mil, so a little bit better uh, catching up to the live in terms of the payout. Of course, they're playing, like I said, supposedly one of the hardest on tour. So if I had to guess, three or four under might win it. Um, yeah, I mean, four under was the opening, the best opening round score, and normally the course gets tougher as look at the tournament goes so four under might do it and just really impressive uh, a lot of people tweeting that walk the course that aren't pga like aren't golfers on the tour they were saying that they're like yeah this course is insane they haven't seen much like it in the past few years at least um and it'll be really interesting to see how the conditions change and how that changes for how golfers you know go into each approach for each shot yeah, no doubt. Um, kind of some crazy stuff you can't ever really see. Um, on the 18th hole today, John Rahm, he uh, he kind of it was a kind of had a poor tee shot, hit it off left, um, kind of barely into the rough. Looked like it was kind of over by the rope, and I guess two kids picked up the ball and just dipped. They they ran, and um, so Rahm got to just drop his ball around where the same spot it was. I mean, it wasn't like he was going to drop it in the middle of the, the, middle of the fairway and, and take that as his tee shot. Um, so he, right. he said he saw the guy, the, the kids who stole it. Um, funny enough, he ended up going on to make a, an incredible second shot. Uh, ends up birdieing uh, on his third stroke and put it in for birdie from about 20 feet away. So kind of weird. Couldn't never really see that. Um, those kids will probably never go to another PGA event ever, if I had to guess. Um, I don't know how old they are, but. Um, not something you should try and do if you ever go to a PJ event or just a golf event in general. It's in pretty poor taste, but um, yeah, no, John Rom had some strong, some strong words for those who joined the live golf tour. Um, you know, he was basically, he called their tournaments like fake and not real tournaments because they were only three rounds. Um, he's not the only guy who's had comments and kind of been outspoken about it. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of guys like Phil playing in the OUS open. It looks like they're not going to, none of them are really going to make the cut anyway. So, doesn't really matter, but still, I, I think it's not, I don't know. I, I don't love it. Um, you know, they chose to leave the, the tour. You don't get to play in a major. That's my opinion. Um, again, I, I'm not going to fault these guys for leaving. 
I take the money too, but like at the same time, you're gonna leave. You don't get to play in the U.S. Open. That's how I kind of feel about it. Um, but nevertheless, you're still playing. Like you said, they're they're combined for 54 over. So that's ironic. That's kind of the golf the golf karma hitting them a little bit. So uh, yeah, Bobby curious to see who wins the event. Um, you know, I, I could definitely see John Rahm having a good you know round three and four and kind of pulling it off. Um, on a course as hard, I expect we won't. We may not even know the winner until we're onto the back nine on day th- on day four. We don't even have a clear picture of it. Just as hard as this course is, and and it sounds like it's as as crazy as this year, as the, as it is this year. We may not even have a clue. Um, you know, like I said, until the back nine on, on on Sunday. So should be really good, good, really good event. Uh, really excited to watch it as the weekend unfolds, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing, especially on Sunday. That like I said, that back nine should be really interesting. Yeah, no, it's like you said, when, you know, conditions change and stuff like that, it's going to be really intriguing to see how the approaches for each player change and stuff like that. But also another uh, side note, a few more players are going to join the Live Golf Tour in the coming weeks. Um, so the Live Golf is not done adding the players. Uh, they, there is a limit of, I believe, 48 players on that tour. So when they get there, obviously, they won't be able to add any more. But there are a few more PGA Tour players, pretty big-name guys that will be switching tours and joining the Live Golf Tour overseas. Um, so it remains to be seen who. There's rumors of Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, guys like that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, and we'll have news on that next week. Before we shift to MLB, as we just wrapped up the golf segment, quick news I forgot to mention. Uh, John Tortorella, the legendary hockey coach, reached a four-year, $16 million contract extension with the Philadelphia Flyers today. 63 years old. He was an ESPN analyst this past year, so he was out of the NHL. But, I mean, this is his fifth team and his 21st season coming up next year. So, like I said, legendary coach, but I thought his time was done, and he's back here and now coaching the Flyers, which I don't know how many coaches would be – like would want to design like this not a very desirable job. Um, Flyers have kind of been in the basement for a while now, but after that we'll shift to the MLB. So kind of all over the place early on here, but we'll go to the MLB. Hit the standings update. Uh, last last week we had the stats update, so we're going with the standings this week. Kick it off AL East, my team's division. Uh, the Yankees are up nine and a half games on the rest of the division right now. They have MLB's best record and are on a six-game winning streak. They've won nine of ten. But they got a tough stretch coming up. They go on the road to Toronto and Tampa Bay starting on Friday. So a little road trip for them, see how they fare coming out of that. Blue Jays sit in second place with Tampa and Boston within one-and-a-half and three-and-a-half three games of Toronto. All three teams sit above 500 right now, and then the – Orioles are nine games under 500, currently trying to gain some ground as they have in the last week or so. So could make it interesting for that third spot in the AL East by the time the season's over, but it looks like as of now the Yankees are going to win it. Yeah, I mean, when you start this hot, it's hard not to win the division. Um, I mean, granted, last year the Yankees, they went on a, what, like a 10-game win streak to want like an 11-12 game losing streak, so – you know, as evident with the Angels, you can start hot and have a terrible losing streak and really put yourself in the basement. Um, not that not that I'm saying that that's going to happen to the Yankees. It's just it's always a possibility. Um, I'm never going to put it past any MLB team not to have a skid. 
Um, you know, the Dodgers just had a, a skid recently and and they've been playing some bad baseball and looking to get right. But I mean, every team's going to do it. Um, you know, there's, there's teams that are going to go on huge streaks and, and, you know, good or bad. So, uh, but yeah, Yankees look like they're probably going to win that division. Um, rest of the division is going to look to be probably a dog fight for that two, three spot, um, especially in the wild card there. We'll kind of shift to the AL central in a surprisingly tight race. Now uh, the ones are just up to are up, uh, two games now on the Cleveland Guardians, only up two games after Guardians have won eight of the last 10 and on a four-game winning streak right now. Um, again, when you win eight of your last 10, you go on a four-game straight winning streak. Uh, it's going to help in your division standings for sure. Um, you know, not that Minnesota has been bad over the last over the last 10 either. They've won six of the last 10, so it's not like they've been kind of in the dumpster there either. It's just that the, the Guardians kind of getting hot at the right time a little bit. Uh, White Sox are five games back in third place and sit a half game below 500. Again, that's kind of been the surprising story of the MLB so far this year is how bad that they've been. Considering the talent on that roster, again, they're not super healthy, but they're kind of going to be getting healthy here in the next month or so. So they should be looking to kind of get back in that division race as I believe they that division has the lowest, the worst record for division leader tied with the a, the NL Central. So Certainly not as good of a division as NL Central, though, and uh, definitely look for that race to kind of get tighter as we go, kind of in a three-game race, three-team race, rather, in the AL Central. Um, and then Detroit and Kansas City both have bottom six records, with Kansas City's being the second-worst in the MLB. Expect those two teams to be in the cellar the rest of the year. Um, you know, not a lot of talent in those teams. It's, they're super young, both teams uh, calling up prospects as of late, so don't expect much from them this year. Yeah, no, I mean – kind of the most least interesting division in baseball um kind of confusing teams get hot um the rest of the division is pretty poor but i mean it's a tight division right now the whole thing's still very much up for grabs and it'll be fun to see how that plays out down the stretch shift to the aos as we round out the american league here the astros are sitting nine and a half games above the pack through the rest of the division sits below 500 with the A's having the worst record in the majors. Unfortunately, um, I really like the A's mainly because they're jerseys and because of a couple guys on that team. But yeah, the, t- the way the teams operate in the front office has done this past year has not been really conducive to having a good team or having a fan base and they've had neither this year. So not really a shocker there. Uh, the angels have fallen to third in the division behind the Rangers A monumental slide for them these past few weeks. It seems like they can't catch a win or at least a string of wins. Um, 14-game losing streak, and it's just crazy to get out of that rut that they're in when you lose 14 straight. It's just so much you have to do just to make up ground to get back to where you were, let alone get better. Um, But the Astros, like I said, looking good. They have the fifth-best record overall in the MLB. Yeah, no shock there with the Astros leading the division. Uh, what's projected to be a one-horse race in that division is going to shape out to be that, it looks like. Um, you know, the Rangers being in second place is good for them. They've got a really bright future there. Um, but like you said, the Angels having that massive skid. They fired Joe Madden, who's an Angels lifer. I mean, it's kind of – I'm shocked they fired him um, amidst that 14-game losing streak. Tough, but that's just kind of the business of baseball sometimes. Um, I think they won one against Boston, and then they went to L.A. and lost their last two there. So um, it's just a tough scene for them, tough scene for Mike Trout. Uh, he had a kind of a 
the, his worst stretch of baseball in his career. Otani still continues to rake. That guy's he's the only good player on that team during that stretch, at least in terms of playing that level of play. Um, Taylor Ward's, I think, hitting just over 300 so far this year, so he's still having a good year. But, again, really bad skid there for them. We'll kind of shift to the National League here. We'll get to the NL East. Uh, the Mets now only hold a four-game lead over the Braves, who, I mean, they were kind of had a comfortable lead for a while there, and the Braves have ripped off 14 straight wins and counting. They're the hottest team in baseball and looked like the World Series contenders that people thought they'd be. Their bats have come around. Their pitching's come around. The whole, the whole team plays really well right now, so – you know, like you said, uh, kind of surprised they looked as bad as they did early on. Um, they, everyone's turned it on. I think the big one's been Acuna. Acuna he's really turned it on. Um, he's the heart and soul of that team, especially now that Freddie's gone. So uh, the Braves kind of getting 14, 14 games straight here. Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of insane. You know, I mean, a 14-game losing streak is insane, but a 14-game winning streak is even even crazier. So we'll see if they can sustain this, um, you know, see if they can give the Mets a run. Hopefully they do. I'd like to see a tight race there out in the AL East. And then uh, the Phillies that are just above 500 with the Marlins and Nationals below 500. Uh, Washington have a third worst record in baseball. Again, not super surprising. They're not a very talented roster. Uh, the Phillies are kind of getting right a little bit. I think the firing of Joe Girardi certainly helped. Um, you know, Bryce is going to have that injury most of the year. So who knows, you know, how that affects them most of the season. Um, he's banged up. It's just kind of something's going to have to play through. Uh so, again, the Marlins and Nationals below 500 isn't super surprising either, though. Yeah, no, that division is kind of all over the place. Um, hot teams, cold teams. It'll be fun to see how that shakes out as well. Um, a team with, you know, some quality teams in it definitely could field multiple playoff teams. But as of now, it looks like the Mets and Braves are looking good. And, I mean, really, it looks like it was the Mets division to lose up until the Braves winning streak. But shifting to the NL Central here, um, kind of my National League team, the St. Louis Cardinals are now in first place in the division. They're up a game and a half on the Brewers. The Brewers are two and eight in their last 10 games, so kind of a little slide for them going on. Pirates, Cubs, and Reds round out the division, all sitting below 500. Cubs and Reds having the fifth and fourth worst records in the majors. Um, I mean, that's better than the worst because the Reds were – three and 22 to start the year. And since then compared to now, they haven't been bad. So it'll be interesting to see if the Cardinals can hold on. Um, I'd like them to, they're looking good. Their offense has really come all come along and their pitching's matched it. So, I mean, a lot of experience on that roster. And I think, I think they could do it compared to the Brewers. Uh, the Brewers do have that experience, but it's just, I don't think it's the roster that it was and their pitching's got to get a lot better before they can contend in the playoffs. Yeah, I think you make a good point that that St. or rather the Milwaukee roster is just not quite what it was the past few years uh, in terms of what you expect it to be. Uh, I think Corbin Burns hasn't quite been himself on the mound. Neither has Brandon Woodruff. Uh, again, bullpen's been a little bit banged up. Um, it, the batches really haven't been there for him at all. To be honest with you, they, they've really won, they've won a lot of tight games. They haven't scored a ton of runs, so. Uh, you know, the Cardinals, kind of the opposite. Their pitching's really come along and their bats have really come along. Uh, I think the resurgence of Paul Goldschmidt has been huge for them. I mean, Goldie was a monster when he was in Arizona, and he hadn't quite been that same player in a while. So I think him getting back to that level of play when he was in Arizona is going to be huge for them and could make them push them from a division, you know, a divisional round team to a potential contender. So uh, big moves there for the Cardinals. We'll go out to the NL West. 
with uh, the Dodgers and the Padres in a tight race here. The Padres have a narrow half-game lead over the Dodgers, though, likely due to the fact that they've played three more games so far this season. If you were to extrapolate out their winning percentages, the Dodgers would be like a game ahead, I think. Um, both have the third and fourth best records in the majors, so, um, you know, kind of expected there two really good teams. Um, Padres have won eight of their last ten with their last four wins straight coming against the Cubs, so I think that's kind of worth noting. Um, beating up on a bad team. They're going back to Colorado this weekend where in a spot where they lost two or the two of three against the uh pardon me against the against the Rockies. So um kind of looking to play a couple few more a few better teams. Uh, the Padres are uh Dodgers kind of were on a little bit of a skid, uh, got swept in San Diego and San Francisco and lost uh Walker Bueller till about late August, early September. Um I guess so I was gonna hit on it later, but we'll just throw it on now in the MLB news. This is really the only thing we had, but so Bueller gets shut down for uh Late August, early September, likely going to be early September. He had a bone spur removed from his pitching elbow today or yesterday, rather. Um, MRI first revealed there was a sprain in his. Um, it was like a, I forget which tendon it was in his elbow, but um, yeah, he has a, t- a tendon sprain. Then it was a bone spur he's been trying to get rid of for a few years. So he's got that taken care of now. But um, like I said, it'll be about 12 to 10 weeks. So probably looking at September as a return for him. Uh, which sucks, but that's, you know, I'm glad he's getting healthy. Um, and then the Giants are sit four and a half games back and are above 500 in the division. Uh, while Arizona and Colorado both sn- have sunk well below 500 and probably are going to sit there the rest of the year. Um, but the Rockies, I think they've got, they go on these little runs, and I've noticed this against division play, against, the, I guess, division opponents. They're actually really good against the division. They are always good to steal one or two from the Padres, Dodgers, and Giants. Um, don't know why. I feel like, the Rockies just play the division really, really well. I can't say the same for the Diamondbacks. They usually don't fare as well against the Dodgers and the Padres. Um, but the Rockies tend to do well against them. Maybe it's because they play in course field and they can always just do a couple in course field. It seems like the weirdest stuff always happens there. But, um, you know, it should be a tight race in the NL West. Um, Padres got some bad news on Fernando Tatis this week that his, his uh, timetable is He's not quite, he's not nearly as far along as they thought he'd be in his recovery. So I guess that's a downside for them, but um, not really sure when he'll be back now. So, but again, should be a tight race for the Dodgers and the Padres there. Yeah, it's another division that should be exciting to watch coming down the stretch. A lot of quality teams there. And then you have, you know, Arizona and Colorado who could, who could stack some wins together and, you know, just make the division look better, make some more quality wins in there. But we're going to kind of, shift to the last segment of MLB, uh, just addressing some upcoming series we got going on. I'm going to start out with the series in the AL East. The Yankees are going to travel to Toronto on Friday for three-game set and then Tampa on Monday for three-game set, like we said earlier. It uh, should be interesting to see how they go. I feel like you got to win four games out of that. Yeah, for sure. should be a good one for the AL East, kind of the standings there, see if anyone can kind of give the Yankees some trouble uh, on the road. Uh, Dodgers host the Red Hot Cleveland Guardians for a three-game set starting tomorrow. Uh, should be a good series. Again, the Dodgers kind of looking to get back in the winning column, uh, back in winning baseball, win their last two games against the Angels. Um, Guardians have been hot as of late, so should be two good teams playing. Um, Dodgers feel like they have to sweep and get, and get kind of back on the right track, kind of build some win- a winning streak there for them. Uh, so should be a good set, though. Yeah, then uh, another big series we have. The Atlanta Braves, who have won 14 straight, host the Giants for a four-game set starting on Monday. So kind of a big series there that maybe wouldn't have been as big a few weeks ago. But team's looking good, and it should be a fun, interesting matchup. 
Yeah, no doubt. Two teams that look to be, uh, you know, wild card contenders at the moment uh, could potentially make a push to the division, each being about four games back from the leaders. So should be a great series there. And then St. Louis will travel to Milwaukee to take on the Brewers on Monday uh, for a four-game set. Should be, I mean, a pivotal NL Central showdown should be, you know, like this, those teams are a game and a half apart. So should be a huge set starting Monday. Again, four games is a lot. So a uh, lock and change in four games, you know, one team could sweep and get a big lead. Another, you know, they could split and stay the same. So, like I said, it should be a pivotal series in the NL Central showdown for now. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that series shakes out. A uh, really, really big series there for them. Cleveland will go back on the road and travel to Minnesota on Tuesday in a three-game set. Uh, that could shake things up in the AL Central standings. Um, but be interesting to see if they can, you know, take a few from Minnesota and maybe overtake the division. Yeah, no doubt. Definitely not the teams you to pick to kind of be, you know, in mid-June playing in a in a in a shakeup series here uh, for the division lead. So definitely not the teams you you thought of or or that would have come to mind in terms of AL or AL Central winners, but our leaders rather, but uh, should be really good there. And then the Mets will travel to Houston to take on the Astros in a quick two-game set on Tuesday next week. Uh, should be good. Two, two quality teams leading the division, so uh, should be a good set there. Uh, most most interconference um, or interleague rather uh, sets are usually going to be two games, uh, like the Dodgers and Angels played a two-game set the, uh, this past two days. So uh, most of those are going to be two games. Sometimes there are three, sometimes there are four, but usually it's going to be two uh, for the most part. Yeah, and that's pretty much it that we have for y'all today on the MLB. I'm going to shift to the college level with the NCAA baseball, a lot of news, and then we're going to jump into the playoffs. Um, University of Kansas star shortstop Maui Ahuna committed to the University of Tennessee this past Friday. Past season, he hit 396 with 28 extra base hits and 48 RBIs. So a really big ad for the volunteers there, um, assuming they're losing a lot of guys to the draft. Um, should be fun to see how he does in the SEC. I mean, that's the conference to be in if you're if you're a good baseball player. So we'll see if those stats hold up next year. As he'll likely be a shortstop, maybe a second baseman, but uh, we'll see how that goes for them and where they f- see him fitting best on that roster. Uh, the Super Regionals wrapped up on Monday though, and we didn't do too bad on our predictions. You went four and four. I went five and three. The only series we didn't agree on was the UT at Easter Carolina series. Um, I picked UT, you picked ECU. I was shocked that Tennessee lost a series to a team that we would have beat had our offense not done anything. That's kind of the story of tech baseball this season. Uh, there's a lot of what ifs. And I think that was probably the biggest one is that if our offense played well, knowing how our pitching was doing, um, I mean, we could have been in Omaha right now playing tomorrow. But the Big 12 held it down, uh, got a few teams in there, along with a few Texas teams as well that aren't in the Big 12. And the Super Regional matchups were pretty exciting. The Knoxville or the Knoxville Super Regional was Notre Dame versus Tennessee. Notre Dame won two of three games, winning the first and third game. Stanford – Regional was UConn versus Stanford. Stanford won the second and third game after UConn took the opener. Corvallis Regional, Auburn versus Oregon State, I believe. Oregon State won the first game and then dropped the last two. The Blacksburg Regional, Oklahoma versus Virginia Tech. Oklahoma lost the first game and won the last two. College Station, Louisville versus A&M. A&M won the first two straight up. Um, Louisville did not win any games to close out the season after their – 
top of the ninth inning two-run bomb to take the regional versus Michigan. The Greenville Regional, which was fun to watch, uh, the Texas Longhorns versus East Carolina Pirates. UT won that two to one. I believe ECU won the first game. Chapel Hill Regional, Arkansas versus UNC. Arkansas won both of the games to clinch that. The Hattiesburg, Ole Miss versus Southern Miss. Ole Miss won 2-0. Um, really wasn't competitive in either game. But I, I was shocked at some of these matchups who won what games. And I mean, a couple series, I mean, Arkansas, Ole Miss, I feel like we expected that uh, for them to kind of run the table. But AM winning both against Louisville. Um, Oklahoma winning and losing the games that they did was kind of surprising. And then Auburn beating Oregon State was shocking. Yeah, no, I think obviously the one that jumps off the page is the number one uh, seed losing. Uh, I mean, you think about Tennessee, just that the regular season they had is one of the greatest of all time. Uh, they lost less than 10 games during the season, which is crazy. So uh, pretty impressive there. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. The Auburn win over Oregon State is a little surprising there. Um, as is Louisville not winning a game in, a in, in College Station, the AM and uh, host site. But, um, I mean, they played two really tight games. Uh, I believe game one was a two-game, two-run win for AM, and then game two was a one-run win for them, and they, and they came back late. Uh, so, again, two tight games there just kind of happened at the, the – the ball rolled AM's way there. Uh, same thing in Eastern Carolina. I mean, the second game, ECU had that thing locked up in this in the eighth inning, and, and their bullpen kind of sold, ended up costing them the series as they had a kind of a monumental collapse at their starting pitching in game three uh, after like, and then a nine hour rain delay. Uh, didn't help them either. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, I think we we expected OU to win that one. Ole Miss, Arkansas, we kind of expected those two teams to win, being hot against some maybe lesser hosts. So, um, no, it was a super fun, super regional matchups. Uh, like you said, not a ton of surprises here. A couple of games going to go quick in two games. Uh, other ones go all three. So, uh, should be really exciting college world series. Um, matchups are really good. Um, but the teams are advancing. So Notre Dame, Stanford, Auburn, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Texas, Arkansas, and Ole Miss will all advance. I believe, uh, one half of the bracket is Notre Dame, Texas, OU, and Texas A&M. The other half being Stanford, Auburn, Arkansas, and Ole Miss. So it should be really good there. Um, series, or I guess the World Series is set to open tomorrow with the final series beginning on June 25th on Saturday. Uh, tomorrow's match is at Oklahoma at or versus Texas A&M. I believe A&M is the home team in that game. I don't know for sure, but I think they are since they're the higher seed at 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and the Notre Dame versus Texas at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN as well. Um, and Saturday's games will be Arkansas versus Stanford at 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and Ole Miss versus Auburn at 7 Eastern on ESPN too. So I think that's, I think, yeah, the, the, uh, the higher seeds have the home, I guess, or the home team for those games. Um, first, first round matchups there. And then um, I guess we can get some predictions here. I've got, I think we differ on both of these picks here. I'm going to go with Notre Dame coming out of the other kind of come out of the half of the side with uh, Texas A&M and uh, Oklahoma. And then I'm going to go with Stanford coming out of the other side with uh, Auburn, Ole Miss and Arkansas. Um, Notre Dame really impressed me with the way they played against Tennessee. Uh, they're resilient. Their bats looks really good. Uh, their pitch, their, their bullpen looks really good right now. They've got uh, starting pitchers pitching well. I think the one game they got shelled like 12 to zero, but, I mean, that's Tennessee is going to do that to you. So, um, 
definitely one of the best offenses of all time. So Notre Dame looks really good. They're, they're getting hot at the right time. They've beat the right teams. Um, and Stanford, I mean, they've just been – they've had a knack for winning close games. They've had a knack for, for getting hits in the right time. Um, they've made maybe the most clutch team of the entire postseason so far in terms of regional, super regionals. Um, you know, they've been resilient. I think it's hard to, hard to bet against a team that just has – has this much momentum going in their favor late in games. So um have yet to see Stanford blow one late in a close game. So I'm, I think I'm going to stick with them. Um, it should be a really, really, really competitive, uh, both halves of the bracket. But I think the Stanford side is going to be really competitive. Should be really, really good to see. And I think, I think in that series, I think Stanford wins that series. Yeah, and my prediction for Omaha, um, the final matchup I think is going to be Oklahoma versus Arkansas. And I think Arkansas wins the series in three games. I think Oklahoma takes maybe the second and make it a winner-take-all championship game, and Arkansas takes it. I just think Arkansas is more well-rounded, whereas Oklahoma, their offense has been really good all year, but their pitching has really just come on. So I don't know if that'll hold true for them for the entirety of the College World Series. The way it works, uh, I haven't mentioned it, is double elimination up until there's only two teams remaining. And it's kind of like a double elimination four team bracket at the top and a double elimination four team bracket at the bottom. Once there's one team remaining from each of the halves, then they play a series. It's three games, obviously, like you do during the regular season and super regional. Uh, so super interesting. I know last year was super exciting between Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. That was a crazy series. Uh, a lot of crazy things happened. So hopefully this year will live up to the hype. And I mean, this is a loaded field, a lot of teams that have experience, a lot of teams that, you know, should be here, but also some teams that maybe you didn't see coming in here, you know, maybe as we were getting to regionals and stuff like that. So it'll be fun to watch and follow along. I'll try to watch as many games as I can. Um, obviously I have schoolwork, a few summer classes and work, but it'll be fun to watch. I'll be following along on my phone and there's definitely some intriguing matchups that are down the stretch. Who are you pulling for, by the way? I haven't even asked you yet, like off the pod. So who I'm putting on spot. Who are you pulling for to win it all? I guess who are you pulling for from each side of the bracket, and then who are you pulling? Who are you pulling for to win it all? All right, from each side of the bracket, I'll say from the Texas A&M Oklahoma Notre Dame series, I'll pull for Notre Dame. Um, no real reason why it's just they beat us. So it'd be nice to see them go far. And I also hate the other teams because they're either big 12 or a &M. So I'll pull for Notre Dame. And then in the other half with Arkansas, Stanford, Ole Miss and Auburn, I'll pull for Auburn. Um, their team that tech played the second game of the year, they were picked to finish ninth in the sec. And here they are nationally ranked, hosted a regional super regional. They got the best hitter for average in the country in Sonny Deshara, their first baseman. Um, interesting dude. Very interesting walk-up song. Um, and I just feel like he kind of is the vibe of the team, and they kind of all rally around him. So I think, you know, Auburn has – I mean, any team in the College World Series is going to be tough, a tough road to clinch and get to that final series, let alone win it all. But I, I like Auburn versus Notre Dame. I think those are probably the two teams I'm pulling for most. Yeah, I'm definitely pulling for Notre Dame out of the other side. I just don't want Texas baseball to win. Uh, don't want to, don't want AM baseball to win either. Um, I wouldn't be pissed if Oklahoma made it because I do feel like they got jaded. I, I feel like 
I'm, I felt jaded for them when they didn't get a host site for regional. Um, again, it wouldn't want them to see them win either, to be honest, though. So I'm pulling for Notre Dame, which is shocking. Um, I'm really not a Notre Dame guy in any aspect, but I will say they have, they have the best batting helmets in baseball and college baseball. So I'm going to pull for them for that, too. Um, but on the other side of the bracket, I think um, I'm pulling for Auburn and Stanford. I think I don't know if I could pick one of the two, but um, Stanford, again, this Pac-12 team, I'm a big West Coast guy. Um, would love to see Stanford do that. We also guy we went to high school with, um, Justin Moore's on the baseball team there, so I would love to see them win for that reason. Um, see Justin go get a ring, College World Series ring. But also Auburn, like I said, Sonny Deshar is a uh, – love the big fella. He's life of the team. Um, the dude rakes. Not only does he hit bombs, he rakes, he hits for average. So, you gotta, like I said, got to love the big fella playing first base. Um, so either one of those teams I'd be cool with. Um, Arkansas Ole Miss, nothing against them. I just I'm pulling for those for Auburn or Stanford to win those uh, those series there. Yeah, I mean, it's such high competition, high talent matchups. It really anything can happen in each game. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens down the stretch. But I mean, that's that's all we got. I mean, two weeks from now, college baseball season will be over officially, um, and. It'll be fun to see how it happens. And next week, I'm sure we'll have a lot more news and there will be some teams eliminated. So make sure you stay tuned so you can follow along with what's going on with that, along with every other thing, obviously. We're going to shift to the NBA here as we're kind of coming down the home stretch. Uh, Texas Tech has now completed the basketball roster. Um, former four-star recruit and UNC Tower Hill guard Kerwin Walton committed to Texas Tech on Monday. Uh, it was long known that kind of Texas Tech was the leading, I guess, had the best odds, so to speak, to land Walton. Uh, he never saw the court much at North Carolina, obviously. I mean, just an incredible amount of talent. Um, I mean, just look at what they did this past year. But in his two seasons there, he shot 40% from deep, so something Tech's definitely prioritizing in their recruiting. Um, and he should compete for a starting spot as a shooting guard. Uh, he has three years of eligibility remaining, and I think he could have a really big impact year one for the Red Raiders. It'll be fun to see kind of how they use him and how they use their loaded guard room this upcoming year. A lot of guys that can play the one through three. And I think it'll be, really be interesting to see, you know, kind of how our new offensive coach and how Mark Adams uses them and, like, facilitates the substitutions and stuff like that. But now we're on the NBA. Just had to add that little Texas Tech note. Um, exciting when your school picks up a good quality basketball player. But yesterday, last night, uh, was at dinner and I got the notification come across. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks made a trade for power forward Christian Wood for them Rockets in exchange for Boban Marjanovic, who is a center. Point guard Trey Burke, uh, power forward Marquise Chris. Sterling Brown, which is small forward, and the 26th overall pick in the 2022 NFL, NFL NBA draft. Um, I think this is a really, really good move for the Mavs. Um, I know a good bit of Mavs fans, and some of them that don't maybe follow college or NBA too much, were like, what are we doing trading four guys in our first-round pick for this guy? Um, but he's a very, very solid player. He averaged, I think, 15 and 10 last year. And he was really the best player on the Rockets. He was consistent. He got he wanted on the Spurs. And the guy the the guys the Mavs are trading away. I mean, Marcus Chris is a journeyman. Boban, journeyman. He's just 
kind of a vibe. So it's cool to have him on your team and stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh, Trey Burke, Sterling Brown didn't have really any impact on the Mavs roster this season when lost in the conference finals. And then 26th pick in the draft is like a third rounder in the NFL draft. So it's like, whatever. I mean, technically, yeah, it's a first round pick and it gets that big hype that because it's a first round pick, it holds more value, but it really doesn't. It's like the equivalent of a third round, like I said. Um, so, I mean, really past the first 15 picks or so in the NBA, you're really just taking your best shots based off what you recruited and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, really good move there for the for the Mavs, I thought. Um, you know, they need Christian Wood to pan out, I'll say that. Um, they need him to take that next step in his game, get healthy, um, get back right. So, But he, he should pair really well with Luka, I'll say that. Um, it should be a great pairing. A guy who can stretch the floor, can play the five, potentially in kind of a, a small ball lineup, and he's 6'11", but he's a little more on the slim side. But still, um, a guy who can play the four, play the five, um, really young player, really athletic. So good move there for them. And then on the Texas Tech front, I mean, that's a really good get for them. And Kevin, Wal- Kevin Walton, um, really excited about it. Uh, should be, again, interesting to see how Mark Adams kind of utilizes the talent that he's going to have. Um, it's going to be a lot of shooting talent, a lot of defensive talent as well. Obviously, everyone's going to be able to play defense on that team for sure. So it should be really, really fun. Um, really good get. Um, again, interesting to see how he plays, um, if he can get in the game. Again, a great shooter when he got in the game, but really didn't play a ton at UNC. So uh, we'll kind of see where he slots in uh, on the Texas Tech roster. Yeah, and as we get into the final, before we get into the finals here, uh, just going to mention that if you didn't know, this past Monday we released the first ever Cold Seat Podcast edition of the NBA Mock Draft, uh, the first ever edition. This upcoming Monday, we will have the second edition. It will be one round, no trades mock, so straight up 30 picks for the teams that currently hold those picks. That could change between now and then, as it did just before we recorded on Monday, with the 30th pick being acquired by the Nuggets. I mean, we like doing that. Uh, It was really interesting to us to kind of run through that, think about team fits, scheme fits, and stuff like that. So make sure you go tune into that. It is out wherever you listen to us. Um, but we had a fun time and it'll be fun to do another one this upcoming Monday. And then the draft will be a week from today. So next week we're going to record episode 17 a little bit earlier, or, and then we're going to tune into the NBA draft. And then the following Monday, uh, we're going to have a third consecutive Monday NBA episode where we kind of recap the draft winners and losers, like we did the NFL and see who came out on top, each team's hall and figure out kind of, some sh- some surprises, some picks that we expected, stuff like that. So just a side note there, tune in. Um, very exciting. Very excited to get those out to y'all. Um, but going back to the script here, NBA Finals continues to be a really fun series to watch. The Warriors lead the series three to two right now, but it's been pretty back and forth. Game four was a good one. Uh, Curry had 43 points. He was seven of 14 from deep. Jason Tatum didn't play all that great. He shot eight of 23 from the field. I think he had 23 points on 23 shots, which is pretty poor. The game came down to the wire pretty much with the Warriors winning by 10, 107, and 97. They shot 44% compared to the Celtics, 40%. So obviously, if you shoot a little better, you're probably going to win. But I mean, just kind of sloppy defense from the Celtics down the stretch there pretty much costed them the game. And then, you know, when you're when you're in Boston and your own star player isn't really getting any shots to go in the hoop, it's it's really tough to watch. And 
I mean, their surrounding cast stepped up, but they can only do so much when they're in foul trouble and stuff like that. So you really need a clean game to win in the finals, and they didn't have it from the Celtics. So it should be fun to see how the series turns out, uh, but it could be over pretty soon. You know, it, like you said, game four was um, kind of down to the wire till late when Boston started fouling, ended up being a 10-point win for the Warriors. But like you said, down to the wire um, – Steph had the team on his back. He was in his bag. Um, in game five, Andrew Wiggins was the hero. Um, he had a great, great game. Um, he, he's been in his bag the whole playoffs. Um, he's really been kind of what's propelled the Warriors to this run they've been on. Uh, again, 26-13 is huge, especially when Steph has a poor shooting net, especially, you know, not making a three. So that's huge for them. Um you know, it's a big win for, for the Warriors. You get to go back to Boston. Um, you guarantee yourself a game seven at home as well. Um, you get to game six with a lead, uh, except for tonight at 8 Eastern. Uh, should be really good. I know I'm going to watch it um, on ABC and ESPN as, as the other games have been uh, back in Boston. It could be the final game. I think it'll be the final game. I think game six, Clay is like a top five player of all time. I said it before. Um, I'm expecting a big night from Clay. Just again, his history shows. Clay Thompson in Game Six is undeniable. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Warriors winning tonight. But again, it wouldn't shock me uh, if they went to Game Seven back in Golden State. Um, should have been a great series so far. Uh, it's been a really good series to watch. Um, just game the game to game, it's been great. Uh, like you said, uh, with the Celtics kind of being up late in the third quarter, and then um, and then the Warriors kind of pulling it back, taking the lead away, and then kind of lead most of the fourth quarter. It's been a great, just really good basketball overall. Um, even though Tatum's kind of been struggling a little bit. Uh, Steph's circle too, but it's just other guys have kind of found a way to contribute, uh, like Andrew Wiggins. So, um, should be really good. Should be a really good game tonight. Hoping we see a Warriors dub tonight and uh, put the Celtics away. Um, not a big Celtics guy myself, but we'll see. It should be a great, great, great game six tonight, though. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it'll be really exciting to watch. Um, really don't know what to expect in this game. Um, the Warriors, obviously, it's a closeout game. Celtics. We'll see what they have left in the tank to kind of save their season. Going back to game five, it was crazy that Steph didn't hit a three. Uh, first time since November 9th of 2018, which was 233 games ago that he did not make a three-point attempt. But those 10-point wins in each game four and five for the Warriors was huge for him. I think that kind of gave them the confidence they needed, especially after game four um, when their supporting cast stepped up. Steph played well, and then after game five, when Steph kind of had a polar opposite game and their supporting cast was still there, it was, it was, I think, really good to see for Golden State. I'm not pulling for a team. Uh, I just want to watch good basketball. And I think that's what we're going to have tonight, like you said, at 9 Eastern. Um, I, don't, I honestly don't know what to expect. Like I said, uh, you just – Celtics – the key for the Celtics, I think, is to is going to be – to have more consistent defense without getting in foul trouble. And I think for the Warriors, it's going to be make sure you get those other guys involved more. Um, you know, Otto Porter, Looney, Wiggins, um, if Kaminga sees any minutes, guys like that, other than Clay and Steph, that they're going to be able to put the ball in the hoop and get you some points when it's needed and when maybe if your top guys are cool or if they're getting locked down or whatever. So, that's that's personally what I think is going to be the key for them if the Warriors or if the Celtics want to force a game seven. For the Warriors to win, it's just going to be 
defend Tatum as well as you can and make the other guys beat you, I think, is going to be the number one thing. I think the Warriors' offense can get it done. The Celtics have really good defense. Um, but, I mean, in terms of the Warriors' defense, like I said, just make sure Tatum isn't the one that beats you. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. I think if you if you're Boston, I feel like you have to get Tatum involved. You got to force the ball through him. And, and then uh, something we haven't really talked about is Al Horford really hasn't shot the ball at all for the most part. I mean, look at game one, he, he lit it up, and you look at game three, had a solid game. They got to start getting Al Horford looks, and Al Horford needs to be confident enough to take big shots in big moments. He did it in game seven against against the Heat. He did it all Eastern Conference Eastern Conference playoffs. He's got to be able to do it in the finals outside of game one, um, and that's the key for them. And I think it's, again, just Tatum's going to have to be Jason Tatum that we've seen in the Eastern Conference playoffs and the Eastern Conference finals, not what we saw the last two games. Um, and if you're Golden State, the key is really just – it's really just keep rebounding, keep, keep being able to get on the glass uh, with your wings, uh, you know, being Andrew Wiggins and, and Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson. Get those guys on the board still and let Andrew Wiggins go to work on Jason Tatum defensively. It's, it's been a recipe for success. Um, don't, let, don't let Tatum get Steph – in every other position, that's that's a recipe for disaster. We saw the Cavaliers do it against them, you know, when they won that NBA Finals and getting, you know, down 3-1. LeBron was getting this, the switch on with Steph every single time, and he was getting Steph on him, and, I mean, it was it was barbecue chicken. I mean, he's, and as as Chuck and as Chuck and Shaq would say, it was, he's getting to the hoop every time. I mean, it wasn't even close. So, again, keep Andrew Wiggins on, on Jason Tatum and make – force other guys to beat you, I think. I think, you know – even if Tatum's going to get his numbers, don't let you know. Don't let Derek White take eight open threes either. And you can't you can't help too much. Um, but I think you've got to force other guys to make to make hard shots. Which is what they've done the last two games. So like you said, um, to keep defending and know what they've been doing. Um, but we'll kind of shift to the NFL here. Couple couple of minute small signings here. The, the Chiefs signed Jarek McKinnon to a one year extension. Um, not a huge deal there. He he didn't see a ton of a ton of reps last year, and then. Green Bay Packers and Alan Lazard reached a one-year, four million dollar extension. Um, big, big, big deal for him. Um, just kind of getting another receiver on the roster that's played with Rodgers before. So um, big, big move there for them in terms of just kind of keeping continuity. Um, I thought Alan Lazard had a good year last year. He kind of got hurt, banged up towards the end of the season, but um, definitely good to keep some chemistry in that wide receiver room. And then the big move of the week was the Steelers and star free safety Minka Fitzpatrick agreed on an extension that is four years. $73.6 million, and he's now under contract for the next five seasons. It'll kick in uh, 2023 season following this year on his fifth-year option that he'll play on. Um, this kind of sets the table for the Justin Simmons and uh, Derwin James contract extensions that are going to be coming up here pretty soon. Um, I would expect the Broncos to probably sign their guy first. I think that the Chargers – um, I think the Broncos are going to try and get it done before Derwin does just because I don't, I don't think they're going to want to match what Derwin gets. And I think of those three guys, Derwin is the most deserving of the most money. Um, I think he probably is going to get $20 million a year, AP, you know, annual average value or annual per year um, or average per year. So, you know, I think, uh, like I said, it really sets the table for it. Um, you know, I would expect in terms of a deal for Derwin, it maybe looks like, you know, four or five years, again, at probably $20 million a year, but, you know, maybe you're only going to get $40 million guaranteed and it's going to be over the first two seasons so that the Chargers give themselves an out in case he does get hurt again. Um, so could definitely see that being a front-heavy a front heavy deal, front-loaded deal there uh, in terms of guaranteed money for the Chargers. Um, Justin Simmons, uh, same, same thing potentially. Um, should be a similar deal to this Minka deal that we just saw. So, um, again, it's going to set the table for the, for the next kind of safety market to be set. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
just going back to the three signings you mentioned, Jarek McKinnon, I think that's a good signing for the Chiefs, uh, just a depth piece, a guy that knows the system. I think he'll be fine for him. Um, just bringing some competition, a guy that's experienced. Packers, Lazard, that was a big, big deal. Um, like you said, he's a guy that's played with Rodgers, knows the offense, and four mil is a really good price for a guy. You know, maybe worth a little bit more than four mil. Um, I think he's a solid, and just the way the market is right now, I think getting him for this year is big for Aaron, especially after losing Devontae. I mean, you have Sammy Watkins, um, Christian Watson, and Alan Lazard. Not a bad group of guys that could kind of bond together and end up being pretty solid come down the stretch of the season. And then Minka Fitzpatrick, not shocked there. Uh, like you said, the money he got, not really shocking. He's had some good years in Pittsburgh after he left Miami. Um, not surprised to see it. It's one of the guys they want to lock in for the long-term future, and they did just that. Um, yeah, I mean, everything that happened there was expected. The timing maybe was not expected. I mean, it was kind of like, all right, it's going to happen before the season or during the season. So happening a little bit before, you know, right when minicamp is going on, not too shocking. Um, but in terms of kind of different news, not signings, on Monday – a report came out that the Miami Dolphins offered former Saints head coach Sean Payton an insane four-year, $100 million contract. So annual value would be 25 a year. Kind of crazy um, for a coaching contract. I'm not sure where that stacks up um, across the league, but 25 a year is definitely a big price. Obviously deserving of it. Um, a legendary coach for New Orleans, and I think Miami was really in a win-now mode trying to pull all the stops. They got Tyreek Hill. But other than that, they didn't get too much. Um, but they're looking good. Their offense should be good, and their defense probably a little bit better. But they might still have a bottom 3-0 line in the league. So for the Dolphins, um, you know, I want to see teams play well. It's just better for the league, better for competition. Your team's record is more valid if you play better competition. So I just want to see every team do well, honestly, or at least have a healthy team. And then to kind of round out the NFL news before we hit the ice bath, the NFLPA informed agents that they have agreed with the NFL on key dates for the 2023 league year. Um, so, you know, kind of when we started the podcast this year, be about a year from now uh, or a year from then. From February 21st to March 7th, that will be the franchise and transition tag window. Um, so before the new league year and tampering periods open, Teams will be able to place a franchise tag on one player per roster to lock him in and kind of bypass the long-term extension negotiations. It gives you more time to negotiate. And there are set prices based off position, what that franchise, franchise tag will cost. Uh, but it is a one-year deal. And like I said, you can find those prices for each position online. And then March 15th, league year and free agent signing period begins. So I assume March 12th, normally it's three days before, is when the tampering begins and you can start, you know, negotiating contracts with free agents and stuff like that. So March 12th next year, things are going to heat up in the NFL very quickly. And March 15th is when, you know, players will be able to get in the facility, sign those contracts officially, and start meeting new guys of their new team. And then the 2023 draft, um, something we're huge on, we're probably going to be even bigger on it next year, honestly. It will be from April 27th to 29th in Kansas City, Missouri. And that will be exciting. 
probably a really, really cool environment to have a draft, I would I would think, based off their fan base. So, I mean, having it in Vegas was really cool this year. Kansas City, maybe there's not quite as much, but the fan experience and fan atmosphere itself should be better. So that'll be cool to watch. Uh, looking forward to next year. But first, we've got the season, which I'm thrilled about. But it's good knowing that after the season, we know exactly when things are happening and what's going on and where. Um, it just gets you excited for it. Yeah, no, start the countdown now. Hey, we're waiting three less three less days than we did last year. So, um, you know, I'm excited. Uh, last year we went from April 28th to April 29th. This year we're from the 29th to the 27th. So, waiting three less days. I'm excited about it. Um, start the countdown, like we said, or like you said, we're going to be super huge on it on the pod for sure. Bunch of mock drafts, that kind of thing. Um, really excited about it. But that kind of wraps up the pod. I think today we're going to hit the ice bath. Um, you want to go first? I'm going to go first today. Yeah, I'll go first um, just because of the way we got it going here. Um, yeah. I'll go first. I got one for the both of us that we kind of talked about together, and then I'll let you get yours. Um, I kind of got two um, strung together somewhat. But Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson, you all know that's my team. Uh, he had his first media availability of the offseason, and 80% of the questions were about his contract negotiations, uh, as you would expect. And to every single question, he replied with, we're having conversations. So I was like, every single different reporter, I swear, it was like, uh, you know, since you got back in Owings Mills, which is where their practice facility and everything is, have you talked with Eric DaCosta, who's the GM? And you're like, any progress on negotiations when you could, you know, a timetable for signing a contract? And he's like, we're having conversations. And they're like, in the off season, how many conversations have you had? And he's like, conversations. So it, it was pretty funny to watch and listen to kind of two minute clip of him saying, you know, every honestly nothing but conversations. Uh, so it didn't really give any insight onto when he would sign. It could be tomorrow. It could be during the season. It could be at the end of the season. I don't know, but I wouldn't be shocked if it was tomorrow or any day. Um, it seems like they're both pretty comfortable with where they stand where the contract stands. Lamar paid no attention to other contracts that he said. He, I mean, he's his own agent, so it's not maybe a typical signing. He doesn't really care about other contracts. He said he said he's his own man, quote. So, I mean, maybe he gets – I mean, the way the market is, he would break the record for annual value uh, for a QB contract. But, I mean, he might not the way it sounds, um, which would be nice for, you know, the Ravens team as a whole and fans. Um. But regardless of what he gets, he's deserving of it. Um, I mean, what he's done in his career at this point is pretty spectacular, and I think it's just kind of the tip of the iceberg for what he will achieve in his NFL career. Um, as, I mean, every quarterback's goal is to win a Super Bowl, and I think he'll definitely have one by the time his career wraps up. And then another quick thing, uh, top prospect in the major leagues, Adley Rutschman. Talked about him making his major league debut a couple weeks ago. He hit a solo bomb in Toronto last night for his first career MLB home run. Uh, super cool for him. Happened to be on my birthday as well, which was cool. Uh, Rutschman was a guy that I followed really like a lot when I knew the Orioles had the first overall pick back four years ago. And I knew that we were going to take him. He was the unquestioned first overall pick. It wasn't really close. So I'd been following him, and that's cool for him to hit a home run on my birthday. Um, but I think – you know, 
the Orioles are calling up a lot of guys, so they should get better here in the next few years. And then real quick, I know this is kind of like a joint thing. Um, not going to take it, but ECU, uh, East Carolina kids, uh, as we said earlier, East Carolina hosted Texas Longhorns in their Super Regional this past weekend in which UT won to advance to Omaha. Uh, there were some kids that were East Carolina fans. They were in the outfield seats with kind of their – I think their arms were over the fence or something. And they each had a beer in their hand. I mean, none of these kids, there's probably like a half dozen kids. None of them were probably over 12 years old. And they each had like a Miller Lite <laughs> bottle in their hand uh, at the Super Regional game. So that was funny. I don't know what kind of regulations they're rolling with there in Greenville. But it's, it was funny to see it kind of – I was like, uh, how old are those kids? And I was like making sure that was like a legit beer. I don't know. Maybe by some small chance, it's like fake beer that looks exactly like real beer. Zero percenters. Yeah. No, I mean they had like a couple kids that had a couple Mick Ultras, a couple, and then Coors Light and Miller Light here and there. I I thought it was hilarious. Um, Obviously, the Cold Seat Podcast does not condone breaking any laws. Although, if an underage person wants to have a beer or two, no one here is going to be super upset about it. you know, I, I thought it was funny. None of those kids were th- maybe freshmen in high school at the oldest. Those, I mean, I thought it was hilarious. It, it seems pretty on brand for Eastern Carolina and Greenville. So I'll say that in, in, Eastern, in Greenville, South Carolina. So I um, thought it was pretty funny. Or Greenville, North Carolina, sorry. I um, thought it was pretty funny. I uh, got a good kick out of it. Um, I think all of Twitter got a kick out of it. And there were a couple of Karens maybe on Twitter that were up in arms, but they underage drank too when they were kids, so nobody really cares. I thought it was hilarious. Um, maybe maybe twelve is a little young, but again, I thought it was funny. It maybe there are zero percenters. Maybe maybe they got zero percenters there. Who knows? I thought I got a kick out of it. We both did. Um, really funny. But my uh, my ice bath today is going to be. Uh, I'm sure most folks hold about heard about the Dodgers pitcher Tyler Anderson last night. His almost no no. Um, he went eight in a third inning. Innings no hit, uh, without, or rather without giving up a hit. Uh, he struck out Mike Trout looking uh, in the top of the ninth uh, to get the first out. And then the next pitch, the first pitch of the at-bat against Shohei Otani, he laced a triple down the down the right field line. It was a really good piece of hitting. Um, really good pitch, really good piece of hitting. Mookie Betts did all he could, gave about 150% effort. Uh, he, he he sprinted his butt off to get there and, and, and laid out, and just he was probably three feet from the ball. He just wasn't going to make the play. Um Gave it all he had for Anderson, but ultimately wasn't going to happen. But nevertheless, Tyler Anderson went, you know, eight, eight and a third of, of no hit ball. So it's pretty impressive. Um, but most people don't know this, that he uh, so also was against the Angels last night. He was actually pursued by the Angels in free agency. Um, they decided after looking at his medicals, I believe, and then looking at just kind of what their roster was going to look like. They actually signed a different pitcher signaling to him that they were no longer in pursuit of him. Uh, leading to him signing with the Dodgers. He wanted to be in L.A. I think his first choice was the Angels because he felt like he had a better spot in the rotation there as opposed to the Dodgers. Um, signs with the Dodgers. He now has a spot, a solidified spot in the rotation, being 8-0 so far this year with a, with a sub-2-5 ERA. Um, but not only that, but kind of the subconscious, or maybe it's conscious, but the subconscious to, you know, kind of go out and, and get in his bag and ball out against the Angels. Um, it's pretty cool. I thought it was pretty unique. Um, there was a, an Angels beat writer that wrote an article basically saying that they dodged a bullet not signing him. Well, clearly they didn't. Um, yeah, they got hit with a bullet last night or a couple of them over eight and a third. So uh, Tyler Anderson, love the guy. Um, the Dodgers have had a couple unsung heroes this year in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the pitching room with him and Tony Gonsolin. 
Um, but Anderson's contribution has been huge. He, like I said, he's been beyond in his bag. I mean, this guy's, a, you know, sub 500 in his career as a pitcher with like a five plus ERA. And, he, and he's eight and no this year with a sub two five ERA, which is incredible. Um, it's been a huge contribu- contribution, one of the biggest in baseball with Kershaw missing some time. He's back now, but he missed some time. And then with Bueller missing time till September, it sounds like um, having a guy like him step up has been huge. So uh, pulling for Tyler Anderson, um, definitely pulling for Tony Gonsolin as well. But uh, Tyler Anderson, Balled out was in his bag last night for sure. Um, and you'd love to see it. A guy who, you know, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, the guys that can go out there and ball out in certain circumstances like that is pretty cool. Um, it's like Freddie Freeman hit his first homer against the Braves in his in his first at batting against the Braves this year. I think it's just the subconscious thing where guys have this little, they feel jaded or slighted and they and they ball out against those those teams that that you know made them feel that way. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that that's a pretty interesting story there. And a dominant start from him last night. But, yeah, um, we like to add in that little segment there that we do at the end um, from here on out. And pretty good episode today. As usual, a lot of stuff going on this time of year with all the playoffs, with college baseball, basketball, hockey, stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much it that we have for you all today for episode 16. The second edition of the NBA Mock Draft will be coming at you all in three days, as we mentioned. Um, so stay tuned for that. We're also live tweeting um, news that we see come across our timeline on Twitter. So make sure you drop us a follow at Cold Seat Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Um, a lot more active there. And then obviously next Thursday, we got episode 17 where we could see a couple things. You know, basketball will be wrapped up. Hockey might be wrapped up. Likely not. Um, but nonetheless, if you want the latest news, make sure you're tuning in to the Cold Seat Podcast. Where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Uh, that's all we have for you today. Do you have anything? No, I think you hit everything on the nail on the head. Um, and uh, like you said, next edition of the NBA mock draft is coming at you guys on Monday. So super excited for that. But we will see you guys on Monday. Yep. See you all soon. <laughs>